document disclosure, the debt ceiling fight, and alarming political violence. There's no there there. President Biden downplays the controversy over classified documents found in his office and home. There are a lot of questions, and I think Joe Biden's going to find out that the rules do apply to him. As Republicans continue their attack and... Why wouldn't we sit down now, set a budget, set a path to get us to a balanced budget? There will not be any negotiations over the debt ceiling. The U.S. hits its debt limit while the two parties disagree on how to move forward. Plus, a former GOP candidate is arrested for violently targeting Democrats. Next. This is Washington Week. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. For the second straight week, President Biden is facing scrutiny over his handling of classified documents from his days as vice president. On Saturday, the White House released a statement announcing more classified documents had been discovered at Biden's home late last week. That third find is in addition to the initial discovery in November of secret documents in his former Washington office. There was also a second set of materials found in December in his garage. Now, House Republicans, including Representative James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, well, they were quick to pounce. The president mishandled classified documents. They're not being transparent with the American people. But this week, President Biden, he sought to downplay the controversy. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. Despite the tension, the White House tried to project a message of business as usual. On Thursday, President Biden traveled to California to visit areas devastated by extreme weather. And on Sunday, Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Florida to mark the 50th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision, which, of course, was overturned last summer. Joining me tonight to discuss this and more, Mia Malika Henderson, a senior political analyst for CNN, and here in the studio, Lisa Desjardins, congressional correspondent for PBS NewsHour, Weijia Zhang, senior White House correspondent at CBS News, and Jonathan Lemire, White House bureau chief for Politico and the host of Way Too Early on MSNBC. Yes, we're still happy you're up because you are often awake way too early. Heavily caffeinated. Yes, you are, <laughs> as we all are. Um, so, Weijia, I want to start with you. Um, take us inside the White House. President Biden, he finally broke his, his silence after days of not wanting to answer direct questions about the, the classified documents. What led to that and how much pressure is he feeling? Well, I think the White House from the beginning has had a very carefully crafted strategy, not only for dealing with the documents, but also for how to communicate that with the people. As you know, CBS News, we, you know, our team broke the story. And um, the big question after that was, why didn't you disclose it yourself? Um, if you knew about these back in November, if you knew about more documents found in December at his Wilmington house. And I think that's really what they're struggling with more, um, because this president pledged transparency. So yes, there is transparency when it comes to the White House cooperating with the Department of Justice. Transparency with the American public is, is very different. And that's, I think, where um, the discrepancy is. But in terms of, you know, the White House's strategy for dealing with it now, it's very clear. And I think what we heard from President Biden yesterday was veering away from that, because sometimes this is a president who can't help himself. He wants to weigh in. He has said he wants to talk about this. In that clip you played, he went on to say there is no there there. Um, and so 
The White House has gone to great lengths to try to separate itself from the DOJ, so it now begs the question, why is the president weighing in on what he thinks the conclusion will be? Um, and so I think, you know, this is a pain for them right now. But if you talk to officials, they say, the American people don't care about this. So, you know, I think they're just really trying to turn the page as quickly as possible. And as they're trying to turn the page, obviously, as you said, CBS News broke this story. I wonder what you think, what your team thinks are the unanswered questions that are really making it continue to be a pain for the White House. Well, I think the biggest one is what's in these documents, right? I mean, if it's something that's, you know, not top secret that would really harm national security, then they could get out in front of it and disclose whatever they could about it to at least uh, you know, talk about the level of sensitivity, which they can't do now, of course, because there is a special counsel investigation. Um, you know, we also don't know, you know, exactly why the personal attorneys for the president were sifting through these documents in the first place. I mean, if they were packing up an office, I know when I pack something up, I'm not going through folders if it's just for the purpose of packing, right? Um, and we also don't know how many other documents may be out there because we there's no clarity about exactly where the search has extended to and, um, you know, if there could be more documents elsewhere. And Jonathan, I mean, there are so many questions, as we just pointed out. Um, there's reporting that President Biden is frustrated. There's also reporting that he was supposed to have the A-team. These are the experienced people. How in the world did we get here? Yeah, he was visibly frustrated yesterday when asked about this in California, saying the American people doesn't care about this. You should be talking about things that matter, in that case, the, the storm damage out there. Uh, it does seem people have wondered if this undermines undercuts their argument that the adults were back. That was part of their selling point after the chaos of the Trump years. They think that the Biden and his team would be the grown-ups in the room. They would avoid mistakes like this. And this is where, of course, we should note this is not totally comparable to the situation with Donald Trump and the documents in Mar-a-Lago. Those are hundreds of documents and seemingly willfully attempts to not give them back. And that's not the case here with Biden. But still, as pol you know, politi politicians on both sides of the aisle have weighed in privately, like, they're not comparable, but there's enough similarities that it's going to muddy the waters. And I think one of the, another, the other unanswered question from a number of frustrated Democrats that I've talked to is like, well, as soon as those documents were discovered in Mar-a-Lago in August, why not search all the Biden properties then? Why not just be sure you don't have a similar problem? There was nothing of that happened. And in fact, nothing was searched at all until those first documents were inadvertently found at the Penn Biden Center in early November and then not immediately disclosed. And not and only were they not searched, but, you know, President Biden um, has his own words now that are being used against him by critics because when the documents at Mar-a-Lago were discovered, he said, how could anybody be so irresponsible? I mean, part of the, what, what, of course, is fascinating about this is one that Trump's issues are different, Lisa, but that still you have President Biden um, now facing fierce criticism from Republicans who have new control over on the Pennsylvania side that you spend so much of your time on in the Hill. So tell me a little bit about how re Republicans are getting ready to both criticize and investigate this while also threading the needle of kind of ignoring President, former President Trump's handling of classified documents. I know. Something happened when Kevin McCarthy was moving to the Speaker's office in his boxes. He found some kind of crazy lucky rabbit's foot because <laughs> after basically the worst ascension into the speakerdom in modern history, 
they get this gift. Now, not only had Democrats been smug about the Trump documents for a long time, going back to, oh, what about Hillary Clinton? Now this is another cause for investigation for them. And the White House continues to not answer questions, continues to not look transparent, um, continues to raise doubts, not just about President Biden, but about Democrats themselves. So I think Republicans are taking a tact where they're not fully pouncing. They're, they're kind of, they believe that the White House is actually causing enough damage themselves that they can take this more slowly uh, than, than they usually do with this kind of issue. I mean, fascinating. And, and in some ways, it's, it's an issue that is playing itself out, as you said, with, with the White House and sort of having its own problems because they're not able to directly answer questions. Nia, I want to come to you. There's a Quinnipiac University poll that found... Oh, we don't have Nia. Apparently, we don't have Nia. So I ask you, Lisa, um, there's a poll. We, sp we spent so much time when we worked together on polls. So there was a poll that shows 62% of registered voters believing that President Biden acted inappropriately. This includes 85% uh, of Republicans, but also 36% of Democrats. I wonder what that means, um, even, if the, even if Biden's saying, I'm, this is different, that the American people are looking at this and saying, this isn't good. Right. That's huge, because remember, the midterms, one of the reasons that Democrats did so well, did better than they were expected, is because their base believed in their candidates and showed up. Republicans had a candidate problem. Democrats stood with the Democrats, even amid those kinds of doubts. If they're having those kinds of numbers, that's something that can really snowball over the next coming months. And at least for now, it's probably likely more of a political problem than a legal one. I mean, right now, the Biden team has said this was a mistake. They didn't mean to do this. They're cooperating with the investigation. They got a special counsel now, too, as does former President Trump. Some in the White House suggest, though, that's going to be a painful process in the short term. But long term, maybe that's even a good thing because they'll be, they'll be able to rebut any claims of bias that, that, that from the Department of Justice. Um, it, but it does take a hit right now. You know, for a president who, frankly, was on a real winning streak. You know, the midterms, Democrats did much better than expected. They got a lot of legislation done at, at last year. He's received high marks for his leadership, uh, keeping the allies together in the war uh, between Ukraine uh, and Russia. And we were, you know, on the verge of his announcement, likely, to run in 2024. And this is just a bit of a hiccup here for, mm -hmm. for the West Wing. And, Neil, John did saying that this could be a hiccup um, to President Biden. I wonder what you're hearing from your sources, especially when it comes to the way that the American public might see this documents issue. If it, if it complicates President Biden's run possibly for re-election, um, there are sources telling a number of outlets that he is planning to announce, likely after the State of the Union. And listen, that was always the plan. So there might be a sort of a temporary hiccup now. Uh, he is sticking with that plan of announcing for his reelection bid uh, in 2024. The Democrats I talk to about this say, listen, this is sort of a, a tempest in a D.C. teapot. That it's, it is much ado about nothing. You saw, I think, President Biden echo that today. They think that voters are much more savvy uh, than we give them credit for, that they sort of live through this with Hillary Rodham Clinton. They live through this, obviously, with what happened with Donald Trump as well uh, very recently, and they can tell the difference uh, between whether or not there's something possibly nefarious going on that would possibly warrant some, something like we saw uh, with, with uh, Donald Trump versus what we've, we are seeing uh, with Joe Biden. I do think there is something else at play here. Joe Biden, in terms of his political brand, it is that he is different from Donald Trump. He's competent. He's been uh, in public office and public life for, for many, many years. So that 
was part of his calling card. There is also, I think, something else. Generally, people think of him as being a decent human being, a decent person, a family man. He goes to church. Uh, he's loyal to his wife. And, and those sorts of intangibles, I think, will serve him very well as whatever unfolds with this special counsel. Listen, there is fear, though. I mean, with a special counsel, we have seen, for instance, with Bill Clinton, it can end up with a, you know, it can sort of begin with a real estate deal and end uh, with a soiled blue dress, right, and an impeachment. I'm not suggesting that there is anything like that uh, with, with Joe Biden, but we do know that once you give sort of a special counsel this kind of power, uh, things can go any sort of way. So there is a sort of latent fear, I think, among Democrats about that, whether or not this will end up in a di different way uh, than it began. But they are so heartened by uh, the sure footing that the White House seems to be on over these last days. Uh, lots of hiccups, lots of sort of fumbling on the message front, but it seems to be that they've righted uh, the course in terms of the political message. And yeah, I want to stick with you because as the White House is dealing with, they're in some ways trying to pivot to business as usual. Part of business as usual is Kamala Harris going to give this speech about abortion. Um, it is going to be the 50th anniversary of the Roe decision. We had the March for Life, um, which, is a, which is a, these are advocates of restricting abortion who had a big march today. They used to go straight to the Supreme Court. Now they're also going to Congress, marking that as, as a new sort of battlefield. I wonder what you make of that and where the battle is there when it comes to abortion in this country. Listen, it's begun again. I think we saw a 50-year battle. It, it culminated in one way with that Dobbs decision, and we're going to see 10, 20, 30 more uh, years of battles. I think practically we're going to see more births, right, in particular states uh, that have high poverty levels, a high infant and maternal uh, mortality. There is some of like 50,000 additional births. So that'll be something that means something practically and economically for women and their families. In terms of politically, I think you're going to see in 2020 the so-called pro-life movement, they are going to try to put up a, a candidate uh, that wants to have a federal abortion ban. In terms of, I think, the, the, the pro-choice movement, you saw, I think, a kind of renewed uh, commitment to the pro-choice uh, movement and the pro-choice uh, situation in Roe v. Wade in a way that I think Democrats and liberals uh, weren't so fiercely proponents of abortion. I think you saw in 2022 what that meant for the ballot box. Democrats did much better than uh, than they expected to, and part of that uh, was because re Republicans were seen as very radical in terms of abortion. So I think there's going to be very much a renewed fight, a battle around the abortion pill, which of course got sort of FDA approval, and some uh, pharmacists are going to be selling that in, in different states, particularly blue states. So, you know, it, it ain't over by any means. We saw what happened over these last 50 years. Uh, there's going to be renewed energy, renewed fight, uh, and sort of renewed political uh, battle lines drawn around this for many, many years to come. And Nia, you're using the word renewed fight and battle. You're talking about abortion, but you could also be talking about the debt ceiling fight. Because on Thursday, the United States, well, it hit its debt limit. We did as a country. The Treasury Department put into place what it calls extraordinary measures to ensure the American government pays its bills. The issue isn't expected to come to a head until June when the U.S. could potentially default on its debt. In the meantime, House Republicans, well, they want to negotiate and are demanding spending cuts before they'll agree to raise the borrowing cap. But the White House and Democrats, well, they're refusing to negotiate. So, so Lisa, you're, of course, the wonky Hill reporter, the person, the yes. perfect person to ask this question yes. to. What in the world is going on? How worried should we be? Is June sort of where this is really coming to a head? I love explaining this kind of story because it's so <laughs> important. The stakes are so high for us, for the world economy, all of it. 
how to do it quickly, I will say this. I think that re reasonably, what we have right here is we have Democrats digging in, saying we're not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. Fine. Debt ceiling as separate from spending. We all get that they are separate. However, Republicans also make a case that we have a very serious debt problem. Uh, in the time I've been speaking to you, for example, $2.6 million in debt we've spent as a country. That's $2.6 million than anyone can get their head around just in one minute. So there is a real spending problem. Republicans are raising that. The issue is that Republicans now are ready to use kind of scorched earth tactics. And both sides, guys, and you may be picking up this too, I feel like the bases are digging in with righteousness in a way that makes me think that we really could end up with a serious, dangerous situation in June. There's no question to resolve this. They do have to negotiate. I think that's what's going to happen. They will try for some kind of guardrails, maybe on spending, maybe a longer-term process for how the budget can be tackled. But right now, Republicans are feeling like, no, we've got to cut the budget back more than any Democrat's ever going to agree to. And, and that's really the problem. And today's the microcosm of how that struggle to negotiate is going to play out. President Biden talking, in comment, unrelated comments were made an offhand remark. Yes, we'll, we'll talk to the other side. Kevin McCarthy immediately puts out a tweet. Yes, let's negotiate. This is what Republicans want to do. White House then puts out a statement clarifying, well, we're not negotiating over the debt ceiling. There's some things we just have to get done. It should, and points out every time, but it got done without any hassle during the Trump administration a couple of times when Democrats were the, were the minority. Without any but hassle is a stretch. That's but, their, yeah. that's their yes, argument. Their yes. arguments without any hassle. <laughs> um, but even just talking about this is going to rattle markets. That's the fear, mm -hmm. is that this is going to, yeah. as we know, this is going to come down to the deadline most likely. But even in the weeks running up to it, as, as the, there is a fear that something could happen, there's going to be economic impacts for all of us. And super quick, and the other problem here is a lot of the Republicans who are playing this game, who want to go right up to the edge, in a way, they've already won, because what they want is process changes. They want a different way of going about things in the House. So really, how much do they care how much the spending changes now or later? And that's a real issue going down the pike. And Alicia, with all, with all that's going on, Kevin McCarthy says he's accepted an invitation mm -hmm. to go to the White House. So what are they going to talk about if President <laughs> Biden's saying, I'm well, not negotiating, but yeah, come down to the White House? This is something that John just mentioned. Yes, he tweeted that out, and then the White House responded and basically said, look, there is no invitation on the table to just come and talk about the debt ceiling. We would love to talk about a wide range of economic issues. Um, I will say that my phone rang, and, you know, it was... White House officials saying, hey, we just want to make sure you saw this statement because they really want people to know that they're not changing yeah. that flag. It's in the ground. They are not going to negotiate. And by the way, there is no date set for any meeting between these two men um, anytime on anything. So <laughs> uh, it's a lot of um, show. No meeting set at any time to negotiate on anything. We have to make sure we <laughs> underline that well, point. I mean, for, for now, just, as of tonight, as of tonight. <laughs> yeah. um, well, there's also, of course, uh, another really issue that was bubbling up this week that I wanted to get to, that we wanted to get to on Washington Week, and that is on Wednesday, Solomon Pena, a former GOP New Mexico State House candidate, was charged with multiple counts in connection with shootings at the Albuquerque homes of four Democratic elected officials. Pena allegedly hired four men to conduct the shootings in December and January. This news comes as officials revealed that last year, the U.S. Capitol Police investigated 7,501 threats against members of Congress. So, Nia, what do you make of Pena being charged, the idea that we're even, we've gotten here, that there's all this scary video of him showing up to his opponent's houses, making threats? What, what do you make of all this? 
Yeah, listen, there has been a tenfold increase in threats against lawmakers uh, going back to 2016. Many people uh, sort of tie this to the rise of Trump, the rise of Trumpism, and the kind of uh, rhetorical violence uh, we have heard from him over these many years. Uh, Susan Collins, of course, the senator from Maine in October, said she would not be surprised if at some point a lawmaker was assassinated. We saw, of course, what happened with Nancy Pelosi's husband. They were trying, uh, to, they were looking for her. They ended up uh, attacking her husband. And so, unfortunately, this isn't a real surprise to anyone. Lawmakers uh, talk about uh, the threats they've received, the increased need for security. And listen, uh, the, the need to also tamp down uh, the violent rhetoric and the conspiracy theories. And some of this grows out of this uh, kind of election denialism. This particular gentleman, for instance, uh, thought that uh, he didn't lose and, and he was he was uh, sort of going on a rampage. Uh, as, as a result of it. So we are in a very, very difficult times. I think uh, if you're a lawmaker, you were used to kind of a nasty phone calls at some point if you were an elected official, but now uh, the threat has gotten so much worse and uh, lawmakers are very nervous about this and they, uh, some of this stuff has been uh, visited upon them, uh, lawmakers in Congress and of course across the nation uh, as, as well. And you hope that at some, t at some point, some of the rhetoric uh, is tamped down uh, on, you know, and it isn't really both sides, right? It is uh, more on the right at this point. And if you talk to folks at the FBI, you talk to uh, folks in law enforcement, there is real concern that it used to be sort of there was a threat from uh, outside of the country's uh, borders, but now there is this threat uh, from within. So you see these incidents happening. And listen, lawmakers are not surprised at these, these kinds of incidents, and they're certainly uh, nervous and scared and stepping up their security as much as they can. And a quick follow-up, Mia. I mean, Penny lost by 48 points. 48 points. This was not a close race. I wonder what that makes, how that makes governing, um, and, and how that also impacts the American people, voters, when you think, I want a government that is governing, but also you have people who are going to follow Penny and say, well, he never conceded. This is maybe a rightful thing that he should have done. Not shooting at people, but at least contesting an election that was clearly lost by him. Yeah, listen, I mean, exhibit A is Donald Trump, right? I mean, I think he has set the example for this, uh, this idea that you can clearly lose an, an election, uh, but you can also spread a lie uh, that it was a rigged election and that people were out to get you and their, uh, their, their votes that weren't counted or their Italy changed votes from Trump to, to Biden, whatever these sort of conspiracy theories are, you don't know how they're going to land on unstable, a criminal elements of the country. And you sort of saw that mix uh, with, with this particular gentleman. And again, there isn't any sense, uh, from what I can tell, that lawmakers, particularly on the right and sort of the chattering classes on, on the right, are interested in sort of tamping down the rhetoric. There is this rhetoric around uh, there being enemies on the other side and people who aren't uh, following the rule of law and conducting elections in the way that they should. Listen, I think we're glad that there weren't many election deniers that came out of the 2022 cycle that people uh, sort of conceded and walked away. Uh, but this, of course, was a different instance. And you hope uh, that this is something that going forward uh, doesn't happen more frequently. But again, there is a lot of fear among lawmakers that this is going to become much more routine. Elijah, I mean, we covered the Trump administration. She said Trump and I literally had a flashback to you and I on the Rose Garden, uh, in the Rose Garden with all those wild times. I wonder what you make of what Mia is saying here. 
Well, I think it's not just lawmakers, but President Biden has, you know, issued this warning himself. It was his closing message right before the midterm elections um, that it was, you know, that there is a real threat to democracy. And he got criticized for that, especially by Republicans who said uh, he has no idea what voters really care about. He's out of touch. But it ended up being a winning message. Um, and then after that, even though, you know, we didn't see of course, what we saw on January 6th, the president continues to issue warnings that there could be um, a repeat of that or even worse. And so I think that, you know, that is the message that they are trying to portray to let people know that it's not just something, you know, that seems it, like it couldn't happen because and, it is happening. And in the last 30 seconds here, Lisa, I'll go to you because obviously you came face to face with this when you were covering January 6th. Well, I'll say, you know, at the Capitol, there's still a lot of raw fear and real fear. I know members of Congress who have moved their homes in the last four months because of threats. They've moved to an entire new house. I also want to say it's not just here in Washington. This week, uh, I noticed that the Chief Justice of the Idaho Supreme Court in his annual address said his judges need more security because they are under threat. So yeah. it's bubbling down. Definitely, definitely. Well, we'll have to leave it there for now, but a lively conversation and definitely important topics. Thank you to our panel for joining us and for sharing your reporting. And don't forget to watch PBS News Weekend on Saturday for a look at the anti-government protests in Peru that are becoming increasingly deadly. I'm Yami Michelle Sendor. Good night from Washington.